Hello again, welcome to the Ali Shur podcast. This is David Yitzhak Kornreich. We're on our second podcast here. Last time we did the uh, preamble, I guess, or the prologue to Ali Shur, what the Sefer is about, what the Sefer is trying to achieve overall. A little bit of biological, biographical uh, sketch of Revolve himself. But now we're going to get to the actual general introduction, the Mavoy Klali. I think the way we're going to do this is we're not going to translate word for word. We're not going to read all the text and then translate it. I'm going to, going to paraphrase and summarize what Revolba says, but I'm going to translate his citations. The citations from the Svarim that he quotes, I think those have to be, those have to be spoken verbatim and translated, because the the wording of Chazal, the wording of of the classic Svarim that he quotes is definitely um, indispensable. So I'll be summarizing and translating the citations. And then I'll comment, I'll make some brief comments about each paragraph. Okay. So Volba begins his general introduction by telling you that what he's going to say now is not the typical style of the rest of the Sefer. The rest of the Sefer, he says, is designed to be accessible and to be understandable, to be present ideas on a very basic, not, not simple, but basic and um, straightforward way. Nothing too obtuse or abstract, but the uh, the introduction here, he says, he wants to give uh, give over what the goal of the sefer in terms of what it's going to accomplish. What is what is going to be the ultimate result of the sefer when you get through to the end? He says you got to get through to the end if you want to come out with this idea that he's about to say in your pocket. Then you got to go through the sefer from beginning to end because he's designed the entire sefer to be able to develop this idea in a person and to make this idea, to root this idea in a person's consciousness. And it's an amazing thing that you have Sefer written like this with everything mapped out at the beginning. I'm just commenting here that you have a real author. Volbo is a real author in the sense that he knew what he was trying to accomplish. He wasn't just writing essays and, and typing down his schmooze and typing down his speeches and slapping them together, stitching them together and putting out a book. He wrote this book with a very specific goal in mind, with a very specific image of what he wanted to produce in people. And he set it out. He set out to do that systematically. So here he's giving you a glimpse of what the end product is going to be. And you need to go through the whole safer to really acquire that that end result. So this he's going to give you the core of what he wants to achieve. He quotes from the safer. And as a general thing, I always like to read introductions. People like to skip and get to the real meat of, the, of a Sefer or any book. Introductions are very important to do that. If you want to really absorb information and not just be busy reading, you want to really get something out of a book, read the introduction. Find out what the author wants you to get out of it. And then it'll focus your mind better to get what you're supposed to get. Okay, so in the Hagdama to the Chavos Halvavos, he says, let me read the text now. Human being is a composite of body and soul. Both of them are an act of goodness from Hashem. One is seen, and the other one is unseen. Because of this seen and unseen aspect of our existence, we have to serve Hashem in ways that are seen and ways that are hidden. 
the revealed aspect of Hashem's avoda is chavos what, what our limbs do, like davening and fasting, that's considered physical, even though to me that's the most spiritual type of mitzvah you can think of, for the body at least. The avoda that's hidden are chavos halvavos, those are obligations of our of our mind, let's say. That involves making Hashem one in our hearts, that he's, he's, there's only one Hashem. We should believe in Him and His Torah. We should accept our, His service upon ourselves, fear Him, subordinate ourselves to Him, etc. This is what this and similar things are what we think about in our hearts, what we think about and try to get deeper in ourselves. It's internal. It's punenu. You don't see anything in the outside when you think of these concepts and you get these attitudes. That's the quote. So Revolta says there are two things here that need to be investigated. Why is the Chavos Alvavos identifying the, the Guf and the Neshama as things that are seen and not seen? That's like a, it's like a side aspect. Wouldn't we say that the real aspect of a body is that it has Yetzirahs and the real aspect of a soul is that it's, that it's close to Hashem, it's full of Kedusha? And why is it that these two aspects, being seen and unseen, those produce the two types of Avodah, Avodah that's seen and Avodah that's not seen? It's just an awkward way to to qualify what, what Yiddishkeit is and what Avodah Hashem is. So that we have to understand these things. So now the Rebbe says we can connect this to what's said in the Ramchal. The Ramchal, in general, contemplates the, the nature of, of the human existence, of the human of the human uh, being. And what what it's comprised of, right? We we like we noted, it's, there's guf and neshama. So this is what the this is what the Ramchal says. Mazos asa lekim guf and neshama kishte yitziros velo yitzir achas she adam etzias achas beli she yem morkav k'moshuato. Why did Hashem split us up like this? Make us some kind of you know make some dichotomy, some deep dichotomy between the human being's body and his soul. Why couldn't we just be unified into one being? Just be much more simple. That's what the Ramchal asks in Das Tunis. And his answer is, Halakim asa haguf hazeh chomer av v'chashuch bilti ro'i la'or ba'or k'dushas yisbaruch. Hashem made the guf something physical, thick, dark, not really ready, not really um, able to absorb the or of k'dushas Hashem. It has a lowly existence, a lowly type of constant. Constitution. The guf is not really fit to receive the or of Hashem. It's just not on that level. And this darkness, this dark nature of the body, which gives it all of its timers and all of its you know urges and base drives that, that dominate it. And that makes it susceptible to 
bad things to happen to it, right? Because it's on a low level, so then evil things can befall it. It could have pain, it could have damage. That's one creation. Then you have this radiant, pure, shining, pristine creature called the Neshama, which was hewn from the throne of glory. Hashem brought it down, and He blew it into this guf. Why? To give the body purity and holiness. This is crucial for understanding. The point of the Nasham being in the Guf isn't just to live through this world in a body and just to get through life and just, you know, move on. No, it's got to do something here. The point of the Nasham being in the Guf is that it transforms the, the Guf. It purifies the guf and it brings it up, it elevates it. Can actually change the fundamental composition of the physical body and make it less physical. This is an incredible idea. That the Neshama's power, Hashem gave the Neshama this capacity to transform physicality into spirituality. And our guf is supposed to be more spiritual as our lives progress. That's the point of the Nisham being here. Until the point, Kemal Cheyasharis. Dabra Zemat, if you think this is far-fetched, no, this happened in history. Dabra Zemat, Sanu Kfar B'Moshe Rabbeinu, Shezacha V'Zikech Es Chumriyuso Ad Sheshavel Madrega Malach Malach. Moshe was able to, you know, with his, he has an incredible cock, to use his Nisham to actually refine his guf and make it less physical till it was able to go to to Shemaim. In his guf, Moshmeinu went to Shemaim from Harsinai into Shemaim and conversed with Malachim in his guf. So his guf was transformed. His guf was elevated into a physical, from a physical state to a, to a spiritual state. And what did that? His neshama. The Ramchal said that the neshama of the person has that capacity to elevate the guf and turn it more spiritual. Kvaro kol Yisrael ki keren or motion. And even after he came back from from Shemaim, Moshe Rabbeinu, that effect that the guf was affected by the neshama was still showing with this Karen or Panav, that his face radiated some kind of supernal light. What's this tool? What are the tools of the neshama? What's the what are the vehicle that neshama uses? Who It's by doing mitzvahs, being mekayim the Torah. That's the the weapons or the tools at the neshama's disposal to elevate that guf and to make it more spiritual. Okay, so that, Sinai Rebbe says, this is it. This is the tachlis of Yitzhir. This is why we're here on this world. The neshama is able to do this transformation because it has mitzvahs. It can get the, the guf to do mitzvahs. That works on the body, elevates it. And it infuses it with kedusha. That's all in the realm of the Chovas Ha'ivar that the uh, Chovas Vavas was talking about. Okay, so now what about the Avodah Tzifuna? What about the hidden work? So there, the revolver comes with Gemara and Brachos. Ta'af Yudam and Alf. Gemara says, Hani chamisha baruchinavshi kenegin mi amran David. 
that David HaMelech and Tehillim has five Baruch Nafshis. What are they supposed to correspond to? The Gemara says it's corresponding to the Kodesh Baruch Hu and the Neshama. But there's some kind of parallel. Ma Kodesh Baruch Hu, there's five parallels that the Gemara draws between Kodesh Baruch Hu and the Neshama. Ma Kodesh Baruch Hu, Malei Kol Olam, Af Neshama, Malei Es Kol Hashem fills the entire world, permeates all of existence, all of the universe. So too the Neshama permeates our entire Guf. Right? And this is why when a, a limb, chas v'sham, a limb is, is, the, is separated from the body, you bury the limb because the limb lost its neshama. The neshama permeates every limb of the body and when a limb comes off, that limb has to be buried just like when you bury the whole body because the neshama left the body. So you bury limbs too because the neshama permeates every limb. That's the first parallel. The second parallel, Ma HaKadosh Baruch Hu Raya Ve'enonira. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees, but is not seen. Af Neshama Raya Ve'enonira. Also the Neshama sees, but is not seen. Ma HaKadosh Baruch Hu Zanes Kol HaOlam. Jesus HaKadosh Baruch Hu sustains the entire world. The entire world would lose all of its existence if not HaKadosh Baruch Hu constantly pumping existence into the world. Af Neshama Zanes Kol HaGuf. The Neshama also sustains the Guf. When the Neshama leaves, the Guf's done. Ma'akadosh Baruch Hu Tahar, Af Neshama Tahar. Because Baruch is pure, the Neshama is pure. Ma'akadosh Baruch Hu Yoshe Bechari Chadarim. Because Baruch is in the innermost chambers. It's more than just not being seen, but it's, it's within concealment. Af Neshama Yoshev is Bechari Chadarim. Also, the Neshama is concealed within inner chambers. And the Gemara concludes, Yavo Mish Yeshbo Chamish Advarim Halalu, V'yishabach L'mish Yeshbo Chamish Advarim Halalu. The one who has these five attributes should be should. It's only fitting that that being praise the other being which has these five attributes. That the neshama praises the kadosh baruch Hu because they share those attributes. Says Revolva. So you see that the neshama can praise the kadosh baruch Hu because only the neshama shares that common denominator with Hashem. Only the neshama can really serve Hashem, and that's why we have chovas havavas. It's able to direct the neshama with its unique attributes towards Avodah Hashem. So it needs a separate set of mitzvahs than the body, because the body isn't really able to serve Hashem in the direct way that the neshama is. So there's a separate track of Avodah for the body, and a separate track of Avodah for the for the soul. But we learned something else from this Chazal, says Revolva. The neshama is Rayev Einam which is exactly how the Chavos of Avos characterized the neshama, right? With this statement of Chazal, that the Hashem is Roya Ve'ena Nira, you can unlock the secret behind what we mean by spirituality. Spirituality is a term that is bandied about, really overused. So we have to really define it for us carefully. What is Ruchnius? How do you break it down? What's this core definition of Ruchnius? So Volva says, Ruchnius at its core is what permeates all physical existence and supplies it with its ongoing ability to exist. Like the Gemara says, Zanis kola olam, kula. It, it just sustains the entire world. The world doesn't exist on its own. This is a this is where we have a conflict with modern science, with modern philosophy, that the world is this closed, independent system that doesn't need any constant inflow of, of energy from outside. The universe is, you know, self-perpetuating. 
It just goes and goes. You just have the laws of nature and the laws of physics, and everything's just self-perpetuating. You don't need any... It's called a closed system. But Yiddishkeit says no. The Torah says no. The Rambam says it in the first... The first halacha in Mishnah Torah, Yisodia Soda, Yisodia Torah, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu has to keep the world going, has to infuse it with existence. That, that without this infusion of of energy, whatever ruchnius from Hashem into the world, the world wouldn't be able to keep going. It's not a self; it's an open system. Hashem has to constantly, in, you know, plug in juice to keep the world going, to keep the universe going. That life force, right? That force, that life, that energy that's imbuing the world and keeping the world going, that's Ruchnius. And that's not physical, right? That's not that's not measurable by any kind of any kind of measurement of, of physical measurement. But it isn't the abstract concept either. Revolva is very careful to tell you this is this is a Baruch Hu who's giving the world existence. Akash Baruch Hu is a being. He's a live being. He's not physical. Also, our neshama. Our neshama is a live being. It sees, right? It's roya ve'inanira. It's roya. It sees what's going on. It's it's a it's a being that has intelligence that is sentient that we that relates to us. It's not just some kind of life force, right, or spiritual force. There's a the only word I can say is that it's a being, right? There's an existence there that's alive, and it's just as real. As any physical table or any physical chair or house, probably more real, right? If, if that's what the Rambam says, it's more real than anything else because you can imagine anything else disappearing, but everything, but everything else will stay. Kashbaruchu, if Kashbaruchu Hashem disappears, nothing could stay. So Hashem is more real than anything else. So this is the definition of ruchnius in the Torah. This is what, because Ruchnius is the being that permeates all existence and gives life to all existence. Okay. That's what Revolba says is, is a very basic definition of Ruchnius. Now he says, we have to really um, integrate this idea that there's something called the non-physical reality. A non-physical being that we that that's us, right? Our neshamas are non-physical. When I was much younger, when I was a bacher, I remember taking on as a project, a private project of mine, trying to gather all kinds of scientific evidence for the soul. That there's not just the brain, not just the body. That there's a non-physical soul, what the philosophers called mind, right? That's not that's not physical. And I remember I was uh, I was close to Harry Kaplan at the time, and he pointed to me to in, in certain directions. He gave me books to read and articles. One of the books he gave me was Salman Sassoon's book called Reality Revisited. This book, fascinating book, talks about basically about neuroscience, basically how the how the mind is able to be in more than one place at a time in the brain. He, he figured out that, you know, that the the eyes, when they see, each eye gives uh, neurons to different parts of the brain, and you have, and if you're seeing out of both eyes at the same time, that means you're in two places at once, and that's not physically possible. 
So the, the I, the who you are, who's seeing, the you who's doing the seeing through your eyes is not physical. You know, the experience of the senses, the senses themselves are physical, right? They have neurons and they attach to the brain and they fire off things, you know, nerves. But the one that's experiencing the sense is not a physical organ in the body. It's not, it's not anywhere in the brain. And he also referred me to studies and experiments of neurosurgeons. The one that he, the one that he recommended the most, was this neurosurgeon called Penfield. Penfield was a, you know, he was a groundbreaking neuro, neuro, neurosurgeon, and he did crazy experiments on patients while they were awake. Not experiments. He was doing um, what's called epileptic surgery. The way he treated people who had completely, you know, resistant, medical resistant epilepsy, no drugs could help them. It's called intractable epilepsy. Couldn't be controlled. His technique, he devised a technique to do brain surgery to remove the area that was causing the seizures. I mean, he obviously would only remove areas that wouldn't, you know, paralyze the person or completely, you know, put the person back. But the way he did it was by opening up the skull and poking around, poking around with the you know, electrodes and and you know instruments, and tapped on people's brains while they were awake. He said, because the brain doesn't experience pain. This is, I got this from an article called Mind Matters News. And it's about it's about Penfield, Wilder Penfield from 1891 to 1976. And the, the article, it's, it's a great article. It talks about how he himself, Penfield, developed, he evolved in his beliefs through his work in neuroscience, neuro, uh, neurosurgery. He started out being a materialist, right? Where he's, where he's just the brain, there's no mind. And he wound up at the end of his career being a dualist. That there's something about human beings that are not material. That there's a mind that, uh, that's beyond the brain. And what uh, Carmelis told me about was this, one of his arguments, one of Penfield's arguments was like this. He said he would stimulate part of the brain during his, you know, procedure, and he would make the arm move, let's say. He'd make the arm move, or he would stimulate a memory, or he'd stimulate a, a, a memory of a smell, or a memory of an image. And then he asked the patient to do it himself, to move his arm from his own will, or to think about something from his own will. And he asked the patient if he can tell the difference between when he stimulated the brain or when the person himself willed to move or to, or to think something. And the patients always knew the difference between when they thought of something or they wanted something to be moved or if he was doing it to them. He said, right? They said, no, that was you. That was you. It wasn't me you know, who made the arm move. So Penfield asked himself, well... What is this will? What is this part of the of the brain that decides to do it and knows the difference between me and the person? That's there's no like post place where he pokes on the brain and gets the will to respond. No, the, the people always know if it's them or if it's the surgeon. That that convinced him. One of the things that convinced him that there's this will that's not in the brain. It's using the brain. Right, that our 
that our brains, not just our bodies, but our brains are tools of the neshama. We interface with the physical world. We use the brain as an interface. We're not in our brains. We are outside our brains, using our brains to manipulate ourselves, to manipulate our, our, our speech, to think about things. But the brain is just a tool. It's just a tool like any other tool of the body that the person himself is using. That person himself, that actual identity of who you are, that will, is not physical. I found this very, very fascinating, and it helped me bring this idea home. The Revolva says it's crucial, this, that you have to be absolutely certain that there's existence in the world that's not physical. We're so surrounded with, with materialistic attitudes that everything's re- reduced, right? Reductionism. Everything's reduced to you know, evolutionary biology. All our highest, loftiest ideals are really you know, evolutionary strategies to survive. Like you hear this talk all the time, all the place. That we don't really have free will. We're just conditioned by our society. We're conditioned by our by our biology, by our hormones, and we're not. There's no real person there. We're just a bunch of neurons firing all the time. That's what we're bombarded with by the world at large. So Revolva says, if you want to be able to enter the world of Ruchnius, enter the world of Avodas Hashem. You've got to be absolutely clear that there's this non-physical reality. You're not physical. You, at your core, are not a physical being. You, at your core, is this neshama, is this mind, is this will that uses the body to do what it wants. That's what you want. And that there's a Kosh Baruch Hu. You, relate, you jump from that to appreciating that there's a Kosh Baruch Hu also that's running this world, that's keeping this world going. That's manipulating this world. This world is just this universe is just manifesting Hashem's rutzon. That the, the core behind everything is something that's not seen. It's not not visible, not perceptible by any measure, any physical uh, instrument. And that's how you have to approach Ruchnius. And once you do that, says Revolba, once you get that down, then you can open up the world of Avoda. Now you have a sense of the words of the Chavos Halvavos, that the, the the basic, basic building blocks of, of, of Avodos Hashem is realizing there's beings that are that see us, but do not, they're not seen. We see, and we're not seen. But our essence is not seen. When you grasp that truth, then you have the building blocks for all Avodos Hashem. We can describe the Guf as evil, as having these urges, and these these, these Yetzirahs, that's not going to help us know what our job is. Our job is to make our guf more ruchni. What does it mean to be more ruchni? To be less physical. Like so with Moshe Rabbeinu. We can use our neshamas, our neshamas can use mitzvahs to make our bodies less physical. That's that's the goal. Okay, this concludes the first part of the introduction. There are four parts of this introduction, and we'll continue this introduction